got questions. We've got all the answers when it comes to sex and more. This is the A to Z of sex with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Every week, we pick a series of topics that you've been wanting to know about. It's an encyclopedia of sex, intimacy, relationships, and so much more than that. Let's get things started. Now, here's your host, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I have spent the last 30 plus years as a psychologist and a sex and intimacy coach, helping people to create and maintain beautiful relationships with sizzling sex and without shame. And we are working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. And today the letter is J and J is for jealousy. I am joined today by Jonathan Kent, who's a journalist, broadcaster, and writer. He's been a foreign correspondent and apolitical reporter for the BBC, Reuters, Newsweek, The Daily Telegraph, KQED, and The Guardian. He wrote, produced, and presented the BBC Radio 4 series, Our Daily Bread, which, by the way, was wonderful. And if it's possible to still hear that, I advise you to go and have a listen. And he's got a book coming out called A World Beyond Monogamy, and we will talk about that in relation to jealousy today. Welcome to the show. Hi, Laurie Beth. Lovely to see you as ever. You too. So um, this is a topic I've been thinking lots about and talking with lots of people about, specifically in relation to non-monogamous relationships, but jealousy is an issue, of course, that crops up in many, many relationship styles. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's not unique to consensual non-monogamy, but I think consensual non-monogamy can provide you with an assault course if you want to get to grips with jealousy. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, if, you want, if you want to go in for the heavy SAS, Special Forces Jealousy Training, uh, consensual non-monogamy does provide the, uh, the opportunities. Absolutely. Um, excuse me. One of the things I wanted to start with is what the difference between um, jealousy and envy is, because a lot of times people, I think, mistake envy for jealousy. I think we actually use jealousy as a catch-all term for things and not just envy, but envy is one of the things that uh, gets conflated most regularly. And it is kind of splitting definitions, a definition like hairs. uh, And if you're in the middle of jealousy, it probably seems like a bit of a nicety you're dealing with things. But envy, I think, is less personal than jealousy. For instance, if somebody else has huge success and they are unrelated to you, and, you know, like uh, a, a famous pop star or movie star, and you feel uh, en- envious of them. It's, it's not, you're not jealous of somebody who is dating Scarlett Johansson or, or her male equivalent. You feel envious, unless for some reason you happen to have an intimate connection with those two. Um, it's also, I think, a, 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 a much more direct relationship. You feel envious of one person, whereas I think... Jealousy, and I'm really happy for people to argue with me about this. I'm kind of like as much throwing it out there for to add to the debate as as trying to say, no, this is how it is. It's absolutely not how it is, but it's 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 my take on it. Jealousy tends to be triangular in some ways. So there is there is somebody who feels wronged. They there is somebody they feel wronged by they've suffered an injustice from and there's often a third person who is a recipient of something that they feel is their due yeah so i mean when i look at different definitions of jealousy one of the things that's mentioned with jealousy is it it occurs 
So envy occurs with something that we don't have that we desire, right? Mm. So you're envious of something someone else has that you don't. Jealousy tends to occur with something that we already possess, and that's usually a special relationship. And it's often when it's threatened by a third person. That is certainly a part of the mix, but I think it's possibly more complex than that. And one of the questions I ask, and I'm sure that you do very much uh, with your professional background, is why we feel the emotions that we feel. Why, as human beings, we have come to have the emotional palette that we have, because most things that we've inherited have been inherited from a line of humans going back however long um, who have survived and thrived because those that didn't possess the necessary traits to survive died off. So most of the, the, the feelings that we have, and many of them are quite ugly and we don't like very much, like envy, like insecurity, like jealousy, like anger, and so on. We are left with this palette for a reason. Shame is another. Um, they're not great. We struggle with these things. Why do we get angry? Is there a proper role for anger? And then by the same token, is there a proper role for jealousy? So what, what um, the received wisdom at the moment is, and, you know, again, your mileage varies with definitions, is that jealousy is the threat of losing something you already have, right? Um, whereas envy is, the, is, is in response to the lack of something. I'm not sure that that necessarily covers the entire situation and, and, and pairs down enough. Um, the differences between envy and jealousy. So one of the books that I went to when researching A World Beyond Monogamy was a book called, um, what was it called? It's by a guy called uh, Christian Christianson. Uh, and it's called, um, I think it's something like Defending Emotions. And it's about pride and jealousy or justifying emotions. That's right, pride and jealousy. And he looks at, at those two because they're both things that have a very negative rap. And, and his broad take is that both have a proper place. They're both necessary for what uh, I think uh, Aristotle will have called uh, eudaimonia, uh, a, a well-lived life, that at some point you need pride, it's but the right kind of pride. At some point you need to be capable of jealousy, but the right kind of jealousy at the right moment. So if there is a proper place for jealousy, what is it? Um, and he gives a number of, of, of cases, for instance, uh, and, and, and one he looks at from an, a, a number of different instances is a father with two sons. And the father has a piece of land which he believes to be uh, rich with gold. And he gives son A one claim and son B another. And um, son A, for instance, um, strikes it rich after working hard and son B doesn't. And I think he's arguing that son B under certain circumstances, that is envy. It's, it's, he is jealous of that thing that he thinks that he should have had that he doesn't. So when's it envy and when's it jealousy? And it's jealousy when he feels that his father knowingly gave his brother a better stake than his when he had an equal claim to it. I don't know. I mean, so for me, some of that is splitting hairs. I think when I look at this, what I want to look at is always where the, what are the practical applications? And so one of the things that I point out to people, especially around non-monogamy, is that often the reason that we um, feel jealous is because we're not feeling either secure in ourselves 
or secure in our place in the relationship. And that envy usually comes about as a, a, as a lack of resources. So that's the distinction I make. So for, uh, for example, I'll use myself because it's easy. Um, I don't get jealous very often. I get envious at times. And the time where I'm, uh, the example that comes to mind is uh, my husband and I were at an event and we hadn't had the opportunity to play in a very long time. I think it had been about 18 months. And this was the first opportunity we had to actually indulge in some good fun BDSM. And we were really looking forward to it. And in the end, I ended up working the event. So I ended up spending most of the event interviewing people for podcasts and various other things. Um, and he went and played with someone else. And I was furious. And I wasn't furious because I was jealous of that person. I was furious because I wanted that time and that energy and I didn't get it. So it was like you were having fun and I wasn't having fun. And you should have saved the fun for me. So to me, that was envy. It was something I should have had. But you went and spent the energy elsewhere. Um, or arguably, if we'd had the time to, for me as well, I still would have been somewhat envious because he didn't have to work, which was really more the issue than it was. So it had nothing to do with the other person. It had to do with what the opportunity that I missed versus some form of jealousy or competition to do with another person's attention where you're fearing an actual emotional loss or loss of place, which is a very different feeling. I get where you're coming from because, again, there are a number of things mixed into that. Insecurity is one. There are elements of envy. I think what I concluded was it's more what a proper definition or a proper place for jealousy is. And I wondered, you know, wondering where it comes from, what its purpose is to, in order to help us. It's perhaps to alert us to uh, a situation where we're not getting our due. And our due is very much an idea which is a social construct and it will vary from time to and place and culture so if you think back sort of like to the era of romeo and juliet all of these very hot-headed young uh, italian aristocrats you can imagine sword fights happening just because somebody looks at somebody else's betrothed yeah and 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 because everybody turns to the person whose betrothed has been eyed up by somebody from the other side and says She's wronged you because she looked back at him. You know, you have been slighted. Your status is threatened. And, and so he feels jealous and, um, and, and acts on that. And in another context, such as a modern polyamorous context, it would be completely acceptable. So exactly the same set of somebody exchanging glances or whatever would not provoke jealousy because there is no loss of status. There is no slight. There is no sense of entitlement. So, and this is... Yeah, I'm going to argue that point, but I'm going to good, wait until good. I'm going to wait until we come back from commercial. Okay. <laughs> so we'll see you in a couple of minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Do you have questions about sex and intimacy? Many are too embarrassed to ask, but we've got to know the answers, right? That's where the A to Z of sex comes in. Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee explores every aspect of sex, intimacy, and more. Find out the real answers with Dr. Lori Beth and her expert guests. 
We also hear from individuals who have experienced the issues we talk about. No matter your gender, sexual preference, or desire, you're welcome here. Learn your erotic ABCs by listening every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. This is the A to Z of sex featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails too. Send them to Lori Beth at drlorybethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Welcome back to the A to Z of Sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. And this week it is J is for Jealousy, and I'm with the amazing Jonathan Kent. And just before the break, um, I was going to argue the toss about jealousy um, in that uh, we were talking about that maybe there's a time where righteous je- there is righteous jealousy because um, somebody is not getting their due. And my problem with that is that that's how people often feel when they're jealous, but actually what they're, what they're expressing is entitlement to something that isn't their due. So um, what I see most in, in non-monogamy is people competing with other people for what they perceive as scarce resources. And I think this is one of the, the critical things um, about jealousy and about envy is the perception is often that resources are scarce. But in actual fact, the resources, the only resources that are typically scarce are time and energy. Love isn't scarce. So it's not the feelings or the emotions that are scarce. It's the fact that, yes, we have limited time and energy. doesn't necessarily mean it's scarce, but we have limited time and energy. And oftentimes people are competing, and that's where jealousy comes in, because they feel they're in competition rather than seeing themselves as in separate relationships. And I get it. I mean, as humans, it's kind of hard. You have, to, you have to actually really look at your stuff and work your stuff pretty regularly in order to take the attitude that you know where your place is in a relationship and that you can argue for um, what you want and what you can negotiate as opposed to thinking about what I'm entitled to, which is what people often do. Let me give you the example that I think I use in the book. 
and then you can pull that to pieces. And I will be delighted to see you eviscerate it because, you know, we get closer to the truth every time we try and do that, which is why I think it's good arguing with these things out. So we have a couple in a relationship and there is a, uh, both, both parties work. Uh, it's a heterosexual relationship. Um, the woman looks after children as well. Uh, they've been in a relationship some time as with a lot of relationships, the, some of the romance and the excitement has gone and it's settled down into mutual care. And her partner, uh, also working, but doesn't do as much of the domestic work, um, meets a new partner. And money is tight, but he blows an unconscionable amount of money on the new partner, who has no link with, with the, the other partner, on a gift. Maybe it's a holiday or something, but the nesting partner, whatever you want to call them, the person who's put in what you would call, Laurie Beth, sweat equity, um, hasn't had that sort of gift or show of affection in a while. And money is tight. They can't really afford it. And she isn't... She, feels a sense of injustice towards her partner and a sense of jealousy towards the person who is in receipt of the gift. Now pull that one to pieces. See, for me, it would be, it would be anger and it wouldn't be jealousy and it wouldn't have to do anything to do with that other person. And I think, and, and that has to do with how you work with your stuff. For me, it would be, excuse me, what the fuck do you think you're doing spending money that we haven't agreed you spend anywhere, not even on another person anywhere. Right. We have yeah. a limit. We have a limited budget. You know, we have a limited budget. You went and spent this. I, am I also angry that you chose to spend it on another person and not on me? Yeah, but I'm angry. I'm not jealous because the, I don't feel a sense of competition with that person. I don't have a relationship with that person. So and this is my my, my point is that the feeling towards the partner, the person who you're due might be one of injustice, which is accompanied by feelings of anger. But some people would feel towards the recipient a sense of jealousy. Why do they deserve it? Um, that is my due. They are getting something that is, is, is due me. You might not, but I think some people do. But I think, but I think that's why I don't think that's actually a, a valid, like you were saying, you know, that there's a good reason for the feeling. And to me, it's still not a valid feeling. You don't have a contract with that person. You're not in relationship with that person. And this is one of the things that people I find don't pay a lot of attention to. They don't go, you know, they have a feeling and they act on the feeling. They don't have the feeling and go, okay, before I act on this feeling, let me check it for legitimacy. <laughs> right? Yeah, no, no, I get that. Uh, right. I mean, do, who do I have a relationship with? I don't have a relationship with that person over there that no, he's spoiled. So, so any feeling I have about them is a deflection. And what I'm saying is jealousy reacts as a warning flare and it isn't a sign of le necessarily legitimate um, a complaint because actually that person, as you said, doesn't owe you anything. But jealousy or that experience of jealousy happens as, as a signal that you feel that your interests are being slighted or what have you. And I'm not sure whether I would call that jealousy or envy. Okay, for, I mean, well, throw that out I'm, to the audience, you know, write in and, uh, and let us know. Uh, and let us know what you let think. Let us know what you think, because it's a hot topic in consensual non-monogamy. And yep. um, we could debate this. Well, look, I mean, if there was a topic that was going to come up every year, if there was a magazine for non-monogamous people, uh, jealousy year. would be like that every year. Uh, just like Cosmo does the same stories on a twelve-month basis. But what I do think, what I do think that you're saying is it, that that is is important that people 
that I think comes out of some somewhat out of what you're saying that is important is this idea of entitlement. And I actually think that a lot of times jealousy is as a result of one's manufactured entitlement and manufactured fantasies of what we deserve. So in our heads, we've decided that if we're in relationship X with person Y, Mm. That it that that is this is what that relationship looks like. So, for example, let's say you decide that you're going to enter a power exchange relationship with somebody, and you have in your head this is what a dominant submissive relationship looks like, and it includes all these things. It includes spending time together um, in these roles. It includes playing. It includes sex. It in, and this is I'm giving somebody's view, right? I'm not saying all of them do. So please. Don't write in about that. And it includes sex and it includes cuddling on the couch and having lots of aftercare. Okay. Let's say that that's what you, and seeing each other twice a week. That's your picture. I think, I think one of the things is when we talk about entitlement, it's become a very, very dirty word, but we both know that there are circumstances in human life when people are entitled to something. If you sign a contract for an exchange of goods and money, you are entitled one party to the money in exchange of the goods and the other person to the goods in exchange for the money. That is a legitimate entitlement in most yeah. societies where there is the rule of law. So having accepted that there is such a thing as entitlement and that it is legitimate entitlement, then what are we talking about? We're talking about delivering on agreements. Well, yeah, so that's what I'm saying. So this is in your head. You've decided what it looks like for you. Because you've done it unilaterally. You've imagined. You've done it unilaterally. And that's where this falls down, is that people either, A, don't actually talk definitions with each other, even in consensual non-monogamy, because they they still make assumptions as to what words mean, or B, or A and B, don't actually clearly acknowledge to themselves what they're what their fantasy is of this relationship. And that's when they get jealous. They feel in competition with someone else who they perceive is getting more. One of the things about consensual non-monogamy is that people frequently have different types of relationships with different people. And I, I, again, I use mine as an example because it's easy and my husband does not mind. So I have both an MS, master-slave relationship with my husband. So he has one role. He's my master. His other role is my husband. That's a different relationship. My master-slave relationship with my husband is not romantic. Right? Mm-hmm. That's, it's a role. It's got rules. It's got parameters. It, there's affection in it don't, and love in it. Don't get me wrong. But it is not a romantic relationship. The romantic relationship is between the husband and the wife. Different relationship. If someone comes along and decides to say that they want to join and have a relationship with either he or I, or, or, or with either him or with me or with both of us. If they look at my marriage as the baseline relationship, they're going to be disappointed. Why? Because neither of us is looking for another romantic relationship with anybody else. I think we can probably agree on something here that is however we define jealousy and however we look at, at this very complex mix of of. of emotions that comes up in the context of relationships, particularly when there's more than one person involved, that clear communication really helps. The ability to negotiate really helps. The ability to come up together with something, and together sometimes means with those other people, because you can't really have an agreement uh, with, with a third party that they haven't been involved in making, then that is a set of rules for them that's imposed. So 
which is a common mistake in consensual non-monogamy that you think, well, you know, me and my partner have an agreement. So, uh, you know, it's an agreement. You're welcome to join us as a third. But, you know, you're subject to an agreement you haven't been party to, which is rules. So being able to communicate clearly uh, is, is really useful. But if you don't know what's in your own head and in your own heart, to use very archaic language, then how on earth are you going to put it into words? Well, and that's one of the problems. And so that's where this whole conversation starts for me, which is step one in terms of, in terms of lessening jealousy, creating fewer opportunities for jealousy and management of jealousy is actually understanding yourself and understanding where these emotional triggers come from and what it is that you need and you want in a relationship. And I know it's trite, but I'm going to say it. Those are two different things. You know, there are some baseline needs that I have to have in, in, in any given relationship. There are some baseline needs that I have in a romantic relationship, baseline needs that I have in an MS relationship, and those are different, by the way. Um, and then there are things that I want. There are extras that can come on top. And if I don't understand what those things are, I can't actually negotiate something that's going to meet my needs and meet the needs of the other party or parties who are involved. And if I think consensual non-monogamy it has a strength, it's people realize that they're out in the wilderness without a map. I mean, for all that somebody you know, like me or somebody like you can write a guidebook, you're still out there without a map because there, isn't, there aren't the tram lines that, that exist mm-hmm. in the monogamous world to the same extent, uh, where we grow up in this, in this atmosphere where we're given the rules, it's inculcated with movies and culture in other forms and so on, books and, and so forth. And so if you don't have a guidebook, if you don't have a map, you're going to have to sit down with the other person and be really clear about where you're going or you're going to die of thirst out in the desert. Absolutely. And, and, and then, so it's not just your community, it's, it's all of your communication skills. It's learning to understand yourself and, and actually listening is one of the most important bits of that. Um, and a lot of times people project their needs and desires onto the other parties and they'll say, I need this, whatever that is. Um, and they're not clear about exactly what comes into that need and why and how they're expecting the other person to fulfill it. And don't listen to the other person's response and then get upset when they don't get what it is that they think they contracted for. Or they're afraid of asking because they don't want to get a particular answer or they find it difficult Truth. to set boundaries and say no. And uh, shout out to my, my partner here who did me my own personal Sesame Street and reminded me, be it's for boundaries. Yes, Thank indeed. You. And with, which is beautiful. We will be back um, after a couple of minutes and some words for our sponsors. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Tune in every Tuesday for C. diff, spores, and more with host Nancy Kerala. Our program is to provide information about C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and more. Nancy is a C. diff survivor, healthcare professional, and founder and executive director of the C. diff Foundation. Together with her guests, we'll explore C. diff infection prevention, treatments, clinical trials, environmental safety, and more. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. 
Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. This is the A to Z of sex featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails too. Send them to Lori Beth at DrLoriBethBisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. And we are on part three of J is for jealousy. And I am with the inimitable Jonathan Kent. So before the break, um, we were talking about the fact that that sometimes people really can project um, or be afraid to ask the question or be afraid to make the statement because they don't want to hear an answer. And um that is unfortunately common. Uh, I think more common in the UK than in the US even is this, um, well, maybe if I don't ask, um, then I then I can just do it and, and I won't get a no. <laughs> I don't want to hear no. no. This, this is a very British survival strategy. Yes. It's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Sort of and you will, hear, you will hear me say this over and over again. It is never easier to ask for forgiveness than pres- permission when it comes to relationship opening. Ever, 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 ever. I guarantee you that the negative effects of having an affair are far, far bigger than the negative effects of being told no. Yeah, I was going to give a completely non-relationship example of when asking for forgiveness is way better than asking for permission, but you're completely right. Because the thing that I hear again and again when people uh, talk about the damage done by infidelity is not about the sex uh, it's about the breach of trust. And yes. it's like, you know, even if you put it back together again, it's like one of those pieces of ceramics that's that's put together like Kintsugi so you can see all the breaks and they're beautifully decorated and you kind of treasure the scars, but the scars are still there. So you don't really get to to break trust and then get back to the place that you were before because you can't erase it. And that's that's a very dangerous thing to do. So, yeah. 
Yeah, it's not easy opening relationships. Nobody I interviewed for the book um, suggested it was. Sometimes it happened accidentally in ways that turned out to be easier than were expected. But generally, it was a journey of exploration, not just around the self, but of one's partner and the thing that is the two of you. So, And the yeah. thing that is the two of you, and that's an important bit of it. It is very much because we, we, we form a third entity when we form a relationship with, with other people that becomes, you know, um, Jonathan and Bob or whatever it is, if it happens to be Jonathan and Bob. So, yeah. And, and, um, and I think it's really important to, to underscore the fact that it, that damage is done to the trust and betrayal. And that then sets up a jealousy spiral that is outrageously difficult to deal with because that spiral comes from a person's previous experience. We are so, reliving our traumas constantly. So you're never really dealing with the person in the now. You're le- dealing with the accumulated strata of hurt from a lifetime. Yeah, you're, you're, you're constantly dealing with that trigger. So you've got somebody that might have otherwise learned how to feel c- confident enough and feel not concerned that they were going to be um, um, abandoned and it, you know, might have learned not to feel jealous or envious because they were assured of their place in the relationship as well. And they knew they could negotiate for what they needed. But they're not going to learn that now because their experience of you is of somebody who betrays them and and who not only betrays the trust, but lies about it, which is a further betrayal and and hides it and so on. And so coming back from that is really difficult. It can be done, but it's really hard work. Yeah, I can think of it in terms of geopolitics. Once a country breaks its word on something, people don't trust that country again. So you know, when, when China breaks its word over Hong Kong or the UK breaks its word over New Northern Ireland. Sorry, this is way off the subject of relationships, but somehow it's contentious in a different way. Um, people think you're not an honest, open-handed dealer. So countries that tend to do what they say they're going to do um, are easier to deal with. And people likewise, if you deliver on your promises, if you are a person of your word, then... You know, it's, it's honesty and truth and, and trustworthiness, of, you know, even in commerce. It's the oil that makes the wheels of the commerce grind. You know? so, so one of the ways of dealing with jealousy is to start out with, with identifying for yourself, where is it coming from? Absolutely. And, and people often don't even do, don't do that step. What they do is they react. But step one is, where is this coming from? I think that's a really hard question for a lot of people to ask, because what you're asking to do is not just identify the trigger, but the thing that it's triggering. And if then you're diving deep back into trauma from earlier in life, then if people haven't already done their work, if people haven't started to talk about this and get to grips with it, then you're in a situation of conflict with a partner. And at the starting point of, you know, it could be a years long or a lifelong exploration of your inner self. Well, and, and so for me, one of the things that I highlight for people is if you haven't done your work, you need to do your work, period. If you haven't done your work, you need to do your work. I don't care if you're monogamous, non-monogamous. I don't care what you are. If you want to be good in relationships, if you want to have relationships that are happy and satisfying and, um, and relationships for all parties, no matter what kind of relationships they are, you need to do your work, period. The more you know you, the easier relationships are. I think as a rule of thumb, uh, consensual non-monogamous, consensually non-monogamous relationships 
puts people and relationships under pressure in a way that monogamous relationships where we can kind of, in, in certain respects, put our fingers in our ears and go, la, 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 often don't. So because there are more people involved, more potential points of conflict and so forth. So they often highlight the work that needs to be done. So it's, at the same time, I would hesitate to anybody saying that they were thinking of exploring consensual non-monogamy, that you have to be, and this is a message that you hear quite often from people who are involved, for instance, in swinging or polyamory or what have you. Well, you know, you, you really need to be sorted out before you try this. You're never going to be perfect. You know, you're, you're never going to be in the perfect place to launch in, into a, thinking about new ways of relating. You've got to get on with it, but you will find out pretty damn soon what your stuff is. I got to say, um, I, I, while I don't think people need to be perfect, I do think people need to be already aware of the fact that you need to work on yourself and already doing that. I think if you're not, and if you are of the belief that you are fine and there's nothing you have to look at, and you've never done any self-exploration and you launch into this, it's going to be awful. Oh, uh, you come up against yourself pretty damn fast. And right. So, fast I, so, yeah, so, so I just encourage people to start, that, start their exploration of themselves as soon as possible and to understand what are the things that trigger you. I mean, we, look, we all, we're all works in progress. I will be a work in progress till the day I die. I do, I do some work. I uncover some more stuff. I do some work. And that's how it is. Because if you live life, you're going to find a need to change and grow. And I think this is one of the interesting things about the prejudices that exist in the society, particularly in the West, about therapy and so on. Um, societies have always had somebody who occupies the therapist's role, even if it's in a not immediately obvious way, so like a priest or a shaman or somebody who is there to listen and to relate and to advise and so on, the, the wise woman or the, or the wise man of, of, of traditional societies. Um, and people have come to think of therapy as somehow a mark of failure if they need to uh, seek out a therapist in a way that they don't think of going to the gym as a mark of failure if they just want to get back into shape or stay in shape. And I really don't see a huge difference between going to the gym and going to a therapist. It really isn't. Um, and, and, and you're looking at a guide, but you have to be willing and you have to understand that that's a prerequisite for relating with other people. You've got to be able to understand what your stuff is. What does your stuff look like? So it doesn't all have to be figured out, but I need, at least need to identify it, right? So that I know what to do. I can recognize my own stuff. I know what to do when it's triggered. Um, it, it makes uh, jealousy eminently easier to deal with when you're aware of that because you understand what's being triggered and why. And you can do things that can help you manage it. So, you know, the most common one is, is, is FOMO jealousy, right? <laughs> um, when you're talking to your clients, obviously no names mentioned and, and keeping things suitably uh, abstract, and you come across instances of jealousy, are there common experiences in their backgrounds that, that, that crop up again and again, things that get triggered early experiences and so on. Sometimes. I mean, you know, yeah, there are some common experiences. Anything that, that causes somebody to believe that they're not good enough um, is, a, is often a trigger for jealousy or that they can be easily replaced. They're not special, so right? A parent who was absent, not approving enough, never encouraging, um, 
always more interested in your siblings than you or something or 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 often actively um disparaging you know actively disparaging what you do telling you it's not good enough you should do better you can do better you know in a particular way that can be really that can really tear someone down and so um you got that and then you've got somebody you go into to consensual non-monogamy and you're not the only one Right. So you're constantly competing and you've all you've been and you've been taught to compete by your parents and told that you're never going to be good enough at the same time. And that's a recipe for disaster. Do you think that the, the very early experiences play a role? Because I, I take quite a keen interest in, in, in attachment theory because I find it quite a useful uh, lens to look at relationships through. And it was very useful when writing the book. Um, people who are insecurely attached, do you find they tend to suffer from jealousy more? Well, I think people who are insecurely attached suffer from from all sorts of negative emotions more. Uh, you know, because they don't a secure attachment means you know that you have faith in the fact that your needs can be met either by yourself or by others or both. And insecure attachment the easiest definition is you don't have faith in that. You're do you under Do you see a difference between people who are insecurely attached and anxious, preoccupied and people insecurely attached and avoidant? Yeah, it de- you know what? I mean, there's so much argument about this, like, in, in terms of academically. So I don't want to go act to the academic place. But I think some people's uh, some people's insecure attachments are ones in which they don't believe their needs will be met um, ever. Right? They they they've learned that their needs are not going to be met, and they're likely to be overwhelmed by somebody else's needs. And those are the people who tend to be most avoidant because they're 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 sure. They're absolutely sure. They can only um, rely on themselves. That's right. That's I can only ever rely on me. And then, then the other kind of, of insecure attachment are the people who, who their needs might be met or they might not, and they can't predict. That's more anxious. So they worry about what they could do in order to influence this. How they can please, how they can make themselves, yes. yeah. themselves and so on. So it's a constant expression of need. Yeah. So, um, it, so, and, and, Oh my. Right. We'll be back after some words from our sponsors. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Addiction. It's something many of us face. It can be nearly anything. Food, sex, alcohol, cannabis, heroin, or dependence on prescription drugs like pain pills, Xanax, Clonopin, or Ativan. Dr. Patricia Halligan hosts Recovery, The Hero's Journey. This groundbreaking program explores the many facets of addiction, including expert observations, best practices to help patients, and treatment options. Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This is the A to Z of sex featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails too. Send them to Lori Beth at drlorybethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. And this is part four of J is for Jealousy. And I am here with the amazing Jonathan Kent. And before the break, we were talking about um, attachment. Uh, yeah, attachment and and jealousy. And um, I mean, I think the important bit about this is that if you're securely attached, then um, it's much easier to navigate not just jealousy, but all sorts of emotions, but in particular jealousy, because you have a secure sense of, of self, as well as a secure belief that it is possible to get your needs met in the world and that you have some agency in getting them met. So those are pretty strong um, plus points in terms of dealing with jealousy. Whereas if you, you're coming from a place of insecure attachment, it's much harder. Because you don't, you either don't believe that you're good enough or you don't believe that your environment is going to provide or you don't believe that you have agency or all of the above. And you're predisposed to find people disappointing. Yes. Yeah. And that takes a lot of unwiring if those are based on very early experiences and much of attachment theory is, suggests that, that it's that, those formative years before you're three that often shape your attachment style. So... Yeah, it's it, hard work. it is hard work. That does take a lot of unwiring. And it's also, you know, uh, you also, I, I find people have more fantastical ideas of, of relationships uh, in those situations as well. There's, um, there's also a part of this, which is being able to be reality based about what others can provide and, um, and what you provide and what you bring to the table. I think that's yeah. a really important point, actually, because one of the things about dealing with jealousy is coming to an understanding of what one can reasonably expect. If you're an abuse, if if you are in an abusive relationship, it's quite possible that you have been convinced that you should have very low expectations, and so getting some sort of objective take on what you can reasonably expect from a relationship, particularly under those circumstances, can be quite hard. I think it's less common that people have completely unrealistically high expectations, but again. That very much does. Oh, you find that's a lot. I find it an awful lot. And I find it particularly in alternative relationships. I find a lot of people who are entering into consensual non-monogamy having bizarre, un, uh, bizarre, unrealistic expectations about what what adding more people will do for their lives and do for their for their um, 
existing relationship if they're in one, um, as well as what people have, expectations people have about being in a, in a BDSM um, style authority transfer relationship that people ha- often have these really unrealistic expectations based out of fiction as to what is provided and, um, and don't, even though communication is a big thing and is like the kind of essential thing for all of these relationships, don't communicate those expectations because I'm not even sure they're necessarily aware that, that, that they're at what their fantasy picture is. I mean, it's a dynamic that some people positively enjoy that, you know, somebody acts the princess or the brat or what have you and the other person is supposed to both take a dominant role and please them at the same time. Um, it sort of sounds like making a, a a recreational activity of dysfunction to me. I tend to sort of like run in the in 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 the opposite direction quite fast because I don't really want to be a sort of like a, a service provider or or a I don't know basically room service in a relationship. But <laughs> I mean, no, I you know so so the thing is is that is that. Um, People don't often know that that's what they're doing, that they're having an expectation that's unrealistic. They're, they're often not aware. Um, and it's because they don't really think about things in a, in a kind of concrete, practical fashion. And also because they don't necessarily examine where they're getting their information from. So I run into a lot of people who have these ideas that are based on romance novels whatever ilk of romance novel. Um, so, you, you know, many bad television series as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, so like we're going to have, um, um, you know, we're going to be a thruple and our third person, you know, it wouldn't, won't it be great because um, when I don't want to have sex, um, they will. And, um, you know, there's somebody else to always add extra income in and there's somebody else to break the chores down and won't it be wonderful. And, the assumption that goes with that is that, of course, everybody's needs are always going to be compatible, right? Like people forget that um, it's possible that all three of you will be out of work at the same time. And then you've got three sets of, of bills to worry about, or it's possible that none of you will want to have sex, or it's possible that, you know, three people or two people will be ill at the same time. So, which isn't to say that it isn't nice to have an extra pair of hands. It sure is. But it's not this weird fantasy. Oh, it, it slots together so perfectly. And we all lived happily ever after. So all they've done is is opened up the monogamy um, image. You know, they've used their monogamy hangover to open up that that trope and add an extra person in. <laughs> so, yeah, basically monogamy, add one person. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so there's a lot of stuff like that or, you know, oh, my God, um, I'm going to surrender to you and you can do whatever you want with me. And the first time he says, clean, you know, clean the dishes or what I really want is for you to sit there and shut up or, I'm, uh, you know what, I need a footstool, um, you know, or I want you to sleep in the in the in the, in the basement, whatever it is. Right. Well, shed. that's shed. the shed. Yeah, I want you to sleep in the shed. Well, that's not what I wanted. And it was supposed to be romantic and it was supposed to be this. And it was, wait a minute. You did not qualify what you said was, but you had this picture in your head that included this beautiful fantasy and that this is what this type of relationship looks like. So if we were going to sum up top tips for starting to get a handle on jealousy, because it's not something you can solve with a wave, wave of a wand. We're talking about things such as being clear of your own, on your own trauma as you're able to be, being prepared to communicate, being prepared to negotiate, 
having a realistic expectations of both your own needs and your ability to provide for others. Yes. Anything else? Um, I can't afford you, Laurie Beth. You must be able no, to. No, because those would be the top things that I'm t- I would be telling people to do. I guess making, looking at your, your level of security across the board, your level of, of emotional security across the board. If you're feeling fragile um, within yourself, adding an extra relationship into your life is not where you should be going. So do your own work. Do your own work. That would be the other thing. Um, and if you are feeling jealous and what you need is tips to get out of it, do things that are distracting and grounding and get you out of your head. Because the thing about jealousy often is, is that people end up spinning loops in their own minds. So do things that take you out of your head and ground you until you can have a rational discussion with somebody, or you can speak to somebody who's a sounding board or a therapist that'll help you work your way through it. So believe it or not, um, we are a a few minutes from close of show. Uh, I've got a workshop coming up on the 16th, which is a boundaries workshop. You need yeah, I know. You need boundaries. B is for boundaries. B is for boundaries, and everybody needs them. Um, if you're interested, you can head over to the website and pick up a ticket there or email me at lauribeth at drlauribethbisbee.com. Jonathan, where can they find you in the fundraiser? So there is a fundraiser for a world beyond monogamy on Indiegogo. Runs until late October. Uh, a variety of rewards, including ebooks and uh, paperbacks at a discount and a head of publication. Uh, and if you want further details, the Twitter account is at Beyond Monogamy. Uh, we also have a podcast, uh, the therapist Zaina Ratti and I, where we talk about all aspects of relationships outside the mainstream. It's, uh, it's almost as good as Laurie Beth, not quite, but what could be. Um, but Laurie Beth joins us occasionally to bring wit and wisdom and light up the show. Um, so, yeah, do hop on over. Once again, Indiegogo, look for A World Beyond Monogamy. The book is published Valentine's Day next year. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been a blast. See you guys next week for Kay. And I don't know what I'm going to do for Kay just yet. I'll let you know. Can I make a suggestion? <laughs> sure. Sure. What do you want to hear? Mm, no, actually, I've changed my mind. be safe guys have a great week we hope you learned something today but if you have more questions go ahead and email them to lauribeth at drlauribethbisbee.com then be here next thursday at 2 p.m eastern time and 11 a.m pacific time for another edition of the a to z of sex with dr laurie beth bisbee on voice america health and wellness see you next week (laughs) 